folks. Welcome to Raising Equity. I'm your host, Dr. Kira Banks. Hopefully you've enjoyed my diversity downloads that kicked off this season. One of the other approaches we're taking this season is partnering with the St. Louis NPR podcast, We Live Here, which shares stories about race and class from St. Louis and beyond. From time to time, you'll hear Lauren Brown, who hosts We Live Here. One aspect of raising equity is how we care for ourselves and community while also resisting oppression. Psychologists call this radical healing. Today's episode is focused on how people have been navigating loss related to the pandemic. Lauren and I take a closer look at ways Black people are embracing mental health and wellness through movement. The pandemic and social justice movements taking place all over the world have created a surge in mental health challenges and racial trauma, specifically in the Black community. One of the ways Black people are dealing with stress is through yoga and meditation. First, you'll hear about a trip Lauren took to the Collective STL, a nonprofit yoga and wellness space whose goal is to create opportunity and access to adequate health and wellness spaces for Black people in St. Louis. Lean forward and down, extended angle. Now you can have fun. So you can bind. That's Alonzo Nelson, co-owner of the Collective STL, a yoga studio in the Old North St. Louis area, which focuses on bringing yoga and mindfulness to black people. Uh, here we go, come back down, high plank. My day job is a high school math teacher. I also am a um, high school track coach and a professional track coach. Um, I'm a father um, and a husband and, um, and a mentor. My passions are like honestly bringing equity within the classroom, um, making math fun and trying to influence more black boys to get into education. Um, my other passion is uh, showing healthy lifestyles and healthy relationships through like my marriage and through um, yoga. Alonzo says he was introduced to yoga by his mom, who was gaining her health back after giving birth to his little brother. And at that time in the um, late 90s, yoga came on PBS and a couple of fitness networks at like super early in the morning. And so she showed it to me and um and I thought that it was quite intriguing because they were they were stretching like from from my high school young teenage mind. It looked like they were stretching, but stretching was shown to be important to me because I had just started running track at the time as well. So I was like, oh, this is really, really cool. Like they're stretching the music and I like the flow of it and everything like that. And so um, I bit real early, you know what I mean? And I started doing yoga. I would wake up early in the morning, which is rare for a kid, but I would wake up early in the morning and tune in. And I had my favorite yoga channel that I would watch or yoga shows that I would watch. But yoga was more than just a hobby. It became a lifestyle, a necessity. It kept me calm. It kept me at peace. And it also, um, it made me feel better physically. And I began introducing like my friends to yoga. The, the challenge, though, is up until, like, honestly, the last five or six years, you didn't see Black people mainstream doing yoga. And so I quite naturally didn't know where else I could practice. And so I would initially practice in, like, fitness gyms, like uh, a Go's gym or 24-hour fitness. I would go to their yoga classes. And even still, I was the only Black person in the class. 
Um, and uh, it was just this sense of, for me, I was always trying to prove myself, right? Every time that I was there. And if you know anything about yoga, it has nothing to do with competition or proving yourself. It's really just an intrinsic thing. And um, and so my desire then became to like figure out what it's what it would take for me to be a teacher. In 2017, all of that changed when L. Potter of Yoga Buzz, a local nonprofit working to build connections across St. Louis on and off the mat, asked him if he was interested in becoming a yoga teacher. And I was like, definitely. And um, I did my yoga teacher training with her. And that's where I met Terry, Dr. Terry Harris and um, Melinda Oliver, um, who then became um, my partners in establishing um, the Collective STL. And the Collective STL was actually our project because in our yoga teacher training, we talked about accessibility and accessibility for everybody. But nobody was really talk, talking about doing it like there was there's that's a buzzword in 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 wellness there's a buzzword in 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 yoga but you don't see it yoga still is very expensive to do it's very expensive to purchase like quality mats it's expensive to get a membership like membership prices none of that stuff changed on top of the fact that uh, many of us still don't see ourselves when we go into the class therefore there's no comfort there's no trust in there and um, if I'm going to pay for any, if we're going to pay for anything, I want to pay for something that I feel excited doing. So for us, we wanted to truly make it accessible and accessible. And so we started the Collective STL to bring yoga to uh, black, black and brown people in the St. Louis area. 30. Up. Oh. Five. As I watched Alonzo conduct his Monday night power yoga session, I wonder where the name The Collective STL came from. The philosophy of The Collective is Ubuntu, right? Ubuntu is a South African um, philosophy that basically means at its core, um, I exist because you exist, right? Community, right? If you're not present, I have no purpose, right? If I'm not here, you have no reason to come to me. So we're just, we're one revolving circle. And so um, I am because you are is all the collective is about. Building a space where black people can feel whole and center our identities and experiences is invaluable because it's not often that black people are in spaces where they feel connected. So in this episode, we hear more from Alonzo about his work with the collective STL and how he combined his passion for yoga with education. And then Dr. Banks and I sit down with a local black therapist who talks about his upbringing and how it shaped the mission of his private practice. understanding grief and loss is challenging. So we discuss more with Alonzo Nelson about how he uses yoga in his classroom as a math teacher and how it changed the hearts and minds of students and their families. I had a senior that I was teaching that would come to my Monday yoga classes and she would bring, one, she would bring like her friends to it. She'd make her friends come to it and her boyfriend come to it and everything. And as she was getting ready to graduate, she um, really thanked me for introducing her to yoga. And she was telling me how yoga is part of her daily practice and how she like feels more at peace and more calm when she practices it. 
And she like definitely like attributes that experience to the interaction that she had with me as a teacher. And she was a uh, she was a white girl. And for me, it's it's beautiful because um, the world is so race is polarizing right now. Race is like the thing that you want to talk about and the thing that you don't want to talk about. And um, yoga is bringing people together. I am at my school the first black teacher that a lot of my kids have had. 90% of my students, when they have me, whether it be as a freshman or a senior, I'm the first black teacher, not even male, black teacher that they've ever had in their life, right? And so um, I'm blessed to have had so many different experiences and do and, and do so many different things and, um, and show myself as a counter stereotype to so many different negative stereotypes associated around black people and black males. Um, that um, I know that I'm changing their perspectives and their parents' perspectives on, you know, Black people, you know. Um, but like, that's one story where there's a white girl that was taught yoga by, by a Black man. And she's then, she's then like, you know, added this to her life and induced, and introduced her friends to it. And during the COVID-19 pandemic, one of the most challenging times in recent years, he found a way to incorporate all of his passions to help support students and their understanding of mental health. I remember when the pandemic first started, when schools went out, right? Um, I told my students about like really taking, taking control of their health, right? Because we nobody knew what this was all about, right? And so I made a few yoga videos for my students during the pandemic and the teachers. And I remember uh, teachers screenshotting uh, their TV or taking a picture of them and their child doing like yoga from my YouTube channel. And it was like, I was like, wow, like these were teachers that I don't really interact with, but they were like, you know, doing it. And um, and I thought it was amazing. Um, and then what, what started to happen is in my classes when we were remote, I would earmark a certain day of the week for yoga, right? And everybody was welcome. I didn't have a lot of people there, but I consistently had students that would, you know, tune in at 12 o'clock on Thursdays and they would set up their computer. I had my computer set up and we would, you know, do yoga for about 15 minutes. The other thing that I was really intentional about during the pandemic was talking and letting them, letting them talk about their feelings. Um, and so I'm trained in restorative justice. And so Friday became our restorative justice day. And so we talked about everything from, you know, family to the pandemic, to the emotions, to uh, it, it just it just varied. But we had dialogue and it had nothing to do with math. Right. And so um, it really allowed me to create that community that I usually have in a classroom. As Alonzo taught his students virtually for his day job, he also began to host live yoga classes on Instagram and restorative talks via Zoom for the collective STL. The pandemic and the uprising for Black lives made way for the collective STL to build partnerships with the History Museum and Gateway Arch. I don't think that those partnerships would have birthed as fast had this, you know, situation, you know, reared itself. You know, on top of the fact that we had COVID and then we had George Floyd happen around the same time. And so, you know, breath 
finding breath, Black people finding breath was like really our focal point, right? And so all of these things were kind of like the perfect storm for the manifestation of, you know, what's going on with the collective and Black people, especially in the St. Louis area. Alonzo wears many hats day to day. So how does he personally cope with the same issues in his life? We internalize a lot of the stresses that we face in the world, whether like, even if we fought, even if we fought every time we saw something we didn't like or somebody said something we didn't like, right? Even if we did that, we still will be feeling stress, right? Um, even if we spoke up every time we saw something that was unjust or towards us or somebody else, we would still feel an extreme amount of stress and we hold that stress in our bodies, right? And so as you move, as you practice yoga through the stretching and the movement and the balance, what happens is um, as you hold on to stress, it tightens your muscles up, right? It, it, it hides in your muscles. It tightens you up. As you practice yoga, you, you stretch, right? So it loosens and it creates that blood flow or that flow of like that negative energy in and out of your body, right? Um, and, and so that's one thing. It, it, it's a stress reliever, right? Through movement. So you shut your mind off so you can focus on yourself. You can give yourself what you didn't know that you needed. So then when you show back up in the world, you're recharged. Dr. Terry Harris, Alonzo's dear friend and colleague, gave him a quote that's helped him manage his work in the community. You can't pour from an empty cup. And so for many of us that are caregivers, that are teachers, that, you know, that help and do and work, 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 we're pouring out all the time, right? We're pouring out all the time. And if we don't take time to recognize all of the work that we're doing, and um, in the work that still needs to be done that can't be done if I'm not well, um, I, need to, I need to take a break. I need to step back and fill myself back up. I do what, do what I need to do for myself, you know what I mean? And um, it resonated very loudly for me prior to the pandemic because February of 2020, I was going, I started to go through depression and I didn't know where it was coming from, right? I was teaching, happy, you know, bright, sunny. And as soon as I would get in the car, it was like a dark cloud over me. And then I would go into the yoga studio and I'm there, I'm on, you know, and as soon as I got in the car, dark cloud, you know, and I go home and I'm, you know, happy husband, happy dad. And um, as I would sit down and be like, yo, I'm like, I'm heavy. You know, I don't know what's the matter, you know? And I recognized that I was just doing, you know, I was doing and, and my cup was empty. And so I had to intentionally stop, step back and refill my cup, you know, do things that would make me feel better. And quite and for some people, it varies like it used to be yoga. Right. But now that I'm doing yoga in all of these different places and for all of these different things, yoga can't be what it used to be. I have to deepen it. Right. And so it turned it, it's turned from yoga to more restorative yoga and meditation. And as I was doing those things intentionally for myself, then I recognized that I could continue to, you know, be the Mr. Nelson, Coach Nelson, daddy and everything else that I needed to be in the world. And as he continues to show up in all of these spaces, whole and well, he hopes that he leaves a lasting impression on his students, clients and family. When I hear a parent talk about how um, they say, like, Mr. Nelson's their favorite teacher or... Um, or I have a student that is say, hey, I'm going into education, like, and it'd be like a black male, 
you know, like, I'm like, yo, that's my goal. I just want to replicate myself, you know, um, or I have, you know, kids to see kids do yoga, you know, by themselves or, you know, show up in, you know, random places when, when we're, when we're practicing yoga, um, like different things like that is what like drives me, what motivates me. You know what I mean? I'm embraced by my community that that gives me the fuel to continue to do what I do, you know, because if they didn't embrace me, that means that they don't approve of or they don't appreciate what I'm doing. And so, you know, yes, I would like to, you know, be, you know, wealthy because of it, but wealth is relative. Like wealth is like the 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 people, the community, um, the lives that I've touched and, and watching them go out into the world and do the same things. You know, I try to replicate it. You know, those are the things that kind of push me and drive me. You know, um, have, having my students, honestly, having my students be able to brag about what their teacher does is a motivator, right? You know what I mean? I want my kids to be proud of me, you know? And I, and I, and I coincidentally always refer to my students as my kids, you know? Because, you know, once you come into my door, you're my responsibility. Alonzo has found a way to combine all of his passions into motivating and supporting the next generation, much like our next guest. Now, I will share the mic with Dr. Kira Banks, host of the Raising Equity podcast, which explores social issues and inspires listeners to create a more equitable world. We sat down with a local black therapist and discussed how he wants to serve the community he grew up in. Toya White. I am a uh, clinical therapist, uh, licensed professional counselor uh, here, founder at uh, Toya R. White Therapy and Coaching, which is my self-branded clinical practice. I'm also a consultant under the Toya White brand uh, LLC, which I do educational and mental wellness consulting. Um, I have an online mental wellness t-shirt and apparel store, um, born and raised here in St. Louis. I mean, one of the things that I've heard people talk a lot about, and I've heard mental mental health professionals in particular talk a lot about is how people are navigating loss. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are now talking about, oh, getting back to normal, but they haven't really processed what they've lost right. in this year and a half. And in some cases, you know, people waking up to the fact that normal really wasn't working that well for them, mm -hmm. right? And so I'm wondering what you've seen in your practice and in your community in terms of people navigating loss, the loss of normalcy and this pull to get back to normal or not. If you talk to most people or many people about grief or loss, or you mentioned those words, then instantly they're gonna think about death. Well, grief and loss is not always about death or somebody dying. It's about the loss of a relationship or the loss of a loss of grieving the loss of a job or grieving a lot, you know, something like that. So now we're now again, we're talking about moral and emotional reasoning to the point where we can be specific about what we experience in that space, being able to isolate that experience and be able to identify it as a grief and loss situation. First of all, be able to identify, and that's an issue. I mean, if we're talking specifically about men, is being able to identify and be and being able to name what those emotions are that we're feeling, right? And then be able to process them in a way that allows us to examine our thoughts, our feelings, our actions, our words, and things of that nature. So is there such a thing as normal? Probably not, right? And as we've seen, what we thought was normal, you know, it really wasn't, right? We're able to create anything, right? Anything, we, we saw the school system get flipped upside down 
and create something that everybody thought was possible, right? And now it really is possible. I mean, we, we had entire school systems running off of Chromebooks, right? So we know now that lots of things are possible that we really didn't think before. It's just about finding out where the needs are, allocating the resources, and then doing the work. It just comes down to us as men being aware of what we're feeling, being able to name those things, and then being able to process or find healthy and safe spaces to be able to process those feelings and those emotions and connect them to those experiences so that we um, develop just healthy action plans or healthy personal self-care plans. Yeah, and what you're saying really means that we have to kind of turn what we think therapy is on its head Mm -hmm. uh, so that, like you said, so that we can have the tools and the skills to identify and then process what's going on. And I I wonder what your thoughts around what is mental health from what I would think we might think of, but Mm -hmm. lay folks who aren't therapists might not see it as, as mental health care, but like the nap ministry and Mm -hmm. things that talk about, you know, rest as resistance and Like these are core ideas that are key to mental health, but they're getting packaged and reimagined in ways that I think are making them more accessible to folks. Everybody doesn't need therapy, but everybody needs relationships. And it's in those in those communities, these communities of relationships and safe spaces that we can be vicariously resilient or develop resilience, you know, in a vicarious way through experiencing the triumphs and the, the victories of others who have similar experiences the same way that we can be negatively impacted by their trauma. Um, so that's that's one of those things. I think wellness, right, is an easier and more digestible term for people. Um, we talk about mental health. Again, we're talking about stigma and so on and so forth. Oh, you know, bipolar and, you know, excuse me, you know, depression, anxiety, all these different. So we're talking about wellness and understanding that our body is a system. And, and the way our minds operate and the way our brains function is a part of that system. And sometimes organically, just like we can get a stomach ache, we can have something happen organically in our brain that causes us to just be off. And we need some new skills and some new information in order to function right in a healthy way. So many systems have been called out in a way, in a mainstream way that they haven't before. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts or if you've seen in, in the folks that you've worked with or in a relationship with, you know, how do you support people who are dealing with this amount of like justified rage and sadness at these systems that don't serve us, right? Mm-hmm. But they're still having to go through their everyday life in the midst yeah. of the pandemic. Like how do you support people in those big emotions? First of all, we just got to listen and just hear people's experiences because and, and have the second thing, a level of empathy whereby we don't minimize anybody's experience because it's not our own or because we, you know, we haven't been exposed to that type of thing or whatever have you. So it's that empathy piece where we can, you know, listen to somebody and experience that from their perspective and, and then just focus on relationship building and creating those safe spaces or those healthy spaces where conversations and, you know, that 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 sphere of influence can can matter, right? Because somebody in your circle, if, you know, if I'm, you know, I'm a therapist and I have a therapist and I'm going to therapy and like, oh, you know, man, like, you know, that's, that's my dude or whatever. I mean, he said he goes to a therapist. Well, hell, I mean, that might be, you know, that might be something that I'll try or, or whatever have you. So it's really just a matter of listening to people's experiences and understanding that life happens. 
right? And there's no there's no rules, just like there's no rules to grief and loss. There's no rules to what we're experiencing here. So it's just creating opportunities for people to be heard. And I think that's one of the things that causes a great deal of anxiety and stress for a lot of people who are dealing with these systems is when they feel like they're not being heard or that their voices don't count or, you know, that nobody's willing to listen, you know, to them or white supremacist views of, well, if you just work hard enough or if you just tighten up your bootstraps and, and, and do this and work hard every day, then you'll be able to overcome. Well, mm, okay, that sounds good, but it, it doesn't it doesn't work that way with systems that are systematically designed to keep a, a, a boot on people's throats. In a way, we have an opportunity to create new normals. Like you mm-hmm. said, if there is even a normal, right? But what advice would you give to people in this moment where they where they have this opportunity to create something new, a new pattern, a new reality for themselves? Um, how do you support people in envisioning and dreaming what what could be possible rather than trying to look back at what was or only trying to dismantle what is, but to look forward to what yeah. they want. Yeah, that's a great question, Dr. Banks. I, you know, for my clients and people that I work with, you know, I kind of teach this thing that's is really simple. It's an object lesson, it's really simple, but it's powerful and impacting for a lot of people because they can actually it's something they can touch, taste, hear, feel, and smell. So um I, I'll do something like, you know, I'll ask a client, like if your life was, you know, a 10,000 piece puzzle, like if your life was a 10,000 piece puzzle and I took the box and I threw it at your feet, how would you start to put it together? And most people, you know what I mean? People would puzzle, well, you know, start in the corner or well, I'll start in the middle or I'll start at the border. Well, okay, that sounds good, right? But the reality of the situation is, is the only way, it doesn't matter if a, if a puzzle is 10 pieces or 10,000 pieces. The only way you can start to put a puzzle together is by finding two pieces that go together. See, it's the only way you can do it. You can't grab a handful of pieces and throw them on a table and think that they're going to come into form and shape and fit together because it's not going to happen. The only way you can, it doesn't matter if you start at the border, in the center, on the edge, the right, left corner, 37 degrees from the center, doesn't matter where you start, two pieces that go together. And so that's where we begin. So we start with, hey, let's talk about these different aspects of life and how things have happened. And let's consider those the puzzle pieces. Now for you, because I'm riding shotgun with them, this is their journey, what two pieces can we put together and then we can build out from that? What what becomes overwhelming and anxiety causing for a lot of people is, you know, jobs and families and health and all, and considering all these things together, that's overwhelming. I have 87,000 degrees and it's overwhelming for me, right? So for, for people that I'm working with, it's just an opportunity to slow down life, which we don't really get the opportunity to do. And all these things that may be anxiety causing, and then put in simple measures of personal self-care, right? And helping them understand the difference between self-care and coping strategies, because they're not the same thing. And then putting these plans together that result in wellness. Learning happens experientially. If I give you some skills to try and you go out and try them, you have to try them to find out whether they work or even if they don't work. But you won't find out either if you don't try them and become consistent in that effort. So that's where we start. And as you're um, supporting the next generation of young men, what are your hopes and dreams for them? You know that that we take control of the pen and, and writing the narrative for black men, um, black men and boys. I mean, obviously there's, 
you know, there's so many different things that, you know, brothers are dealing with with regard to, you know, family court systems and education systems and, you know, the juvenile justice system, criminal justice system, all these things that are systems, right? Every single one of them is a system. Many of them have been systematically designed to destroy people. Um, and so my hope is that we, as the men in the community, we can join hands and uh, lock arms and take control of the pen that writes the narrative for what we can do to be successful. Um, unfortunately, we we are faced with uh, media imagery and a lot of other things that have a, uh, a deleterious effect on on the fiber of how young men see themselves, right? They don't think they're successful until they have a certain thing or do a certain thing and not understanding that, you know, you can develop or create a path for success based off of the purpose that God gave you, you know, specific to, you know, the, the gifts and talents that you have and get them plugged into systems of education um, that are uh, relevant with resources that are relevant um, and, and can get them pointed in the right direction. Again, just, you know, we learn by modeling, right? We know this, um, Dr. Banks, is, you know, through psychology, we know that, you know, the first way that we learn is by modeling. So we want, you know, I personally, you know, the coaches, the teachers, the administrators, the police officers, the whoever, you know, in our community can be those models for our young men to get them connected and just reimagine what success looks like for us. It doesn't have to be the NFL, the NBA. It doesn't have to be doctor, lawyer. It can be, you know, CDL driver with your own truck and you are doing well for yourself and living a productive life and giving back to your community and serving people and, you know, getting back you know, what we know is what's successful about or what's necessary for the success of families in and from black and brown spaces. That's, for me, is critically important. It's gonna take intentional effort and systems built to restore um, that which was stolen away. This show is produced by me, Lauren Brown, executive producer, Jade Harrell, director of on-demand content and community partnerships. Special thanks to Dr. Kira Banks and Aaron Banks from the Raising Equity podcast for their contributions. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. From St. Louis Public Radio and PRX, this is We Live Here.